Hello and welcome to the Music Therapy Podcast. On this episode, I'm joined with very special guest and friend Martin, who is the founder of the Royal Beggars community page on Facebook for Architects fans. We both hope you enjoy this episode, so let's begin. Are you in London? I'm in South End. South End. Sunny South End, which isn't so, um, sunny today. Um, yeah, I don't know what's happened. Like yesterday, the weather was lovely. Well, the last few days it was lovely, and now today it's not. So I'm freezing in my room with a long sleeve and a hoodie on, trying to warm up. Um, but yeah, yeah. How are you today, though, mate? Yeah, not bad. Not bad. It's a bit dreary. Not so as last couple of days. Still working from home for the last year. Last year. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've not been in the office for a year now. So <clears throat> set up on the dining room table. Just uh, it's kind of the norm now. Just kind of used to this. It'd be weird to go back to the office now and see people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we haven't <clears throat> yesterday. Same, you know. Um, got friends that work and they're like are we even going to go back to the office because you know yeah. you do your work from home and yes you get the social aspect of you know meeting people and socializing with your colleagues but you know at home it, in a way it's nicer um, yeah. yeah it's kind of nice just to shut down your computer and be like oh i'm done I'm yeah i mean I, I need live 10 minutes from work anyway now um oh, awesome. but still it's nice to it's still nice not to think about that drive home or just being stuck in the traffic getting back just be shut down go grab a beer go sit on the sofa let the kids jump all over me yeah <laughs> so uh, it's not quite a relax with the kids around but yeah of course yeah <laughs> yeah that is true right um i'm in the mood for an informal chat i haven't planned anything um there is stuff that obviously we, we want to cover today um, in our talk. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining me anyway. Uh, no problem. I know you're a busy man and um, I'll say I am as well, but I'm really not. I just sit on my arse all day. <laughs> <laughs> well, as when you said to me, oh, I'll, set, I'll have to set my alarm. I was like, oh, mate, 10 o'clock in the morning. What I wouldn't do to sleep sleep in till 10 o'clock. Yeah, in the no, I, I do. I am quite lazy. But... 7 a.m. is a good... 7 a.m. is a good a good wake up call for me. If we hit seven o'clock, I thought, oh, brilliant. <laughs> it's weird because when you're you know, when you're a bit younger, you're like, oh man, you know, you could when I was at uni, you'd be laying until oh, midday sometimes. But <clears throat> now, just the kids just have you up. I think even if you didn't have the kids, you'd be like, I think your body clock's just adjusted now, and you'd be up at the crack of dawn anyway. It's yeah, weird. exactly. Yeah. Or, or I'd love to sleep until ten. Yeah, no. <clears throat> yeah, bad times. Yeah, when it comes to um, music for you, so how did you really get into what you got into? Um, I mean, growing up, I was um, I was kind of really subjected to what what you heard on the radio, and I'm kind of showing my age now, I guess. But you know, before the days of you know the internet and stuff and we never had sky we never had like mtv or anything at home so what i heard was like what was on the radio what was in the charts and stuff so i wouldn't say growing up my music taste was particularly good and i hadn't really um discovered anything around, around sort of the metal or the alternative scene or 
you know, I'd, I'd heard bits and bobs of bands like Nirvana and things like that. But it wasn't really until I got to sort of college um, and the town I went to in college, there was a, a, a real big metal scene. And that's, it was around sort of 2000. So it was falling in line with the time that sort of new metal was coming in. And I was on a media studies course and we were, you know, making various videos and stuff. And, you know, me coming in, my influences of probably Bon Jovi and, <laughs> and, and maybe some like trance music and stuff like that. Um, people were like, no, 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 we're going to put Limp Biscuit on this and we're going to put Disturbed on this. And I was like, who are these bands? Never even heard of them. Um, but yeah, it came at a time when, when new metal was like really taking off. Um, bands like Deftones and, and the big one for me was, was Linkin Park coming in. Um, and Limp Bizkit, I guess, to, to, to a certain degree, but I think they've aged quite as well um, as Linkin Park have. Yeah. But it was, it, was, it was hybrid theory, really, that first album um, that sort of changed everything about music for me. That's really interesting you say that, because that album, yeah, same for me. Um, when I was very young, um, my mum was, yeah, into Bon Jovi and stuff. Um, so grew up listening to that. And my aunt at the time, when I was young, back early 2000s, she lived in Miami. So whenever I would go out with my grandparents and see her, when we're driving around, she would have CDs in the car. So she had Hybrid Theory and she had uh, the first Three Days Grace album. And I don't know why, but Hybrid Theory just stuck with me. Um, and that was kind of like my first introduction to a band that I actually liked, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah. But yeah, I think that's for when you go back to the music that we listen to now and have conversations with people, I think that album stands out, you know, the most of that was kind of the starting point of people's influence to, you know, heavier music, really. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Linkin Park's definitely not the heaviest music you're going to come across. But I'll always say that, that Hybrid Fear was the most important album for me in my life. Um, one, because the longevity of it and that I can still listen to it and it doesn't sound dated. But it was that pathway into to other music and heavier music. It was kind of the bridge between you know, the rubbish I was listening to before. It, it was kind of easy, I think, in some ways for people who, who weren't into, into heavier music to, to absorb what Linkin Park were doing. Um, and I think it was Crawling was the first song I heard. And at that time, I think, I think it was in Virgin Megastores. I remember going down and you used to be able to, uh, again, I'm showing my age now, but you used to be able to take the CD uh, and scan it into this machine and you could put, put a set of headphones on and, and listen to the album before you purchased. Yeah. Um, I remember doing that and getting 10 seconds into paper cut and I just threw the headphones down and I was like, I'm buying it. I'm buying it all I needed it just wow. for, yeah for that little intro and just for it to drop into the guitars I was like I was, I'm, I'm done yeah this is worth my 10 pound investment damn that's crazy yeah I remember I had this conversation the other day with my aunt I remember this was yeah, you know, 2003 it was so when was that like 13 years ago now no I don't know I'm bad at maths but um yeah my grandma came around the house and gave my older brother and myself Meteora uh, the day it came out and yeah it's stuck with me and then since then like every album release 
um, I buy the album, give it to my aunt, and then, you know, we'll, you know, discuss the album really, because every album is different when it comes to Lincoln Park. Um, and yeah, so it was, it was interesting to see that, you know, that was one of the first bands that I listened to and I've followed them since the whole career. And uh, yeah, saw them, managed to see them four times, which was amazing. Um, yeah, and you said you met Chester as well, so. I did, I did. <clears throat> oh, it was super surreal. Um, I mean, I was, um, <clears throat> excuse me, proper fanboy uh, of Linkin Park at the time. And it was it was a couple of weeks before Meteora came out and they came and did a, a few dates in England, uh, one of which was at Brixton. And I went down with a couple of friends to um, to the gig. And I don't know if you've ever been to Brixton Academy, but there's that, yeah. there's that big, it's quite a long building. And as, as you sort of queue in to get in, we were right down by the stage door. And I just remember the doors opening a few times and, you know, you sort of imagining, oh, imagine if the band just popped out, but of course it's not going to happen. Um, and the third or fourth time that door opened, you know, Chester and Mike and Joe walked out. And there was just this like huge gasp. And, and you can imagine everyone just like forgot their place in the queue. All those people who were probably queuing at the front, you know, um, hoping to get right to the front stage. Uh, didn't care anymore because they were oh my god the band's there they're right at the back and everyone was just crowding around and I think it was at a time where they were they were huge but they weren't doing arenas or anything like that at that point um so they obviously felt quite safe you know rather than having organized meet and greets to come out into the street um and I just remember them saying that nobody push nobody fight we'll we'll sign something for everybody we'll do photos for everybody um and they gave they gave everybody the time and that's something that I think was was really cool because they were, you know, they didn't have to do that. That was off their own back, you know, sitting in the back of the, of the arena and and saying, let's pop out, let's go and say hi to people, let's go and sign some sign some stuff and um, and just very down to earth guys. Um, and I think now now we know what happened with Chester. Um, you kind of look back at that and say, like, wow, that's a real a real honour. Uh, and again, it was it was time before camera phones um and you wish you just sort of wish that you know oh, i wish i got a photo with him but but i'll always have that you know that memory of those those sort of moments talking to him uh, and i've got some signed stuff from him as well um just yeah a very cool and lucky lucky to have had that experience with them yeah no it's exactly the same yeah i always think looking back i mean uh it was my aunt's favorite band still is and you know having experiences of seeing them um live they were my first concert 2008 at the o2 it was a minutes to midnight tour um and it was like a surprise christmas present like my mum my was like oh do you want to go and i was like yeah definitely and she planned it with my aunt they said oh my you know my aunt can't make it she's working that day and you know we we, we ended up going and it was great yeah and um the last time I saw them was two weeks before Chester passed. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, that was at EO2 again. And it's just, it was a surreal experience to see, you know, them for the final time, really, um, mm. like that. Yeah, and then two weeks later, obviously, what happened was devastating. Um, but yeah, it's great. It's, you know, great memories. Uh, definitely, yeah. Um, let's jump. I think, I, I, think uh, I listened to your, I, on one of your first podcasts. And you were talking about that O2 show 
Yes. Big Fire supporting. And I was at that show. I used to, I was living in London at the time. And we went to that show and it was insane. It was an incredible show. Um, unfortunately, that was the last time I saw them. I never caught them again. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Strangely enough, my whole family, my whole like closest family members managed to see Linkin Park live, except for my older brother. We took my grandma to see them twice. She's in her mid eighties. Yeah, so she she followed the band and you know saw them live with us a few times, which was great. Uh, yeah, uh, I want to jump into Architects now. Um, you know, scrolling. I was scrolling through Facebook one day, and I always, you know, I'm I'm a member of a few groups when it comes to you know Facebook groups when it comes to bands. It's just interesting to find people that like the music, the same music you do. Um, especially when it comes to metal i feel like the majority of people when you say oh i listen to metal they don't really understand you know, the message behind it they just think it's screaming um which i guess it is sometimes um but yeah i saw your facebook group um that you created for architects and i was like oh that's amazing you know architects being my favorite band i you know i hopped in and yeah it's kind of blew up now which is insane um so yeah, why did you start that? Why Architects? And how has it been dealing with all the crazy fans? Oh, well, I guess a bit like you, you know, I like to find sort of like-minded people and, you know, get involved in those, in those sort of discussions about, you know, your favourite band. And um, I think some people think that it's just, you know, these groups are just, you know, <laughs> just praising the band and, and for a little bit, you know, there's people in there and, and there'll be people having disagreements and stuff. And that's part of it as well. You know, I don't like that song. I don't like that album. Just, just, you know, to have uh, an area where, where people could come together and have, you know, discussions about the band and other groups that I'm in, I'm in one for uh, the other huge band in my life is Frice. I don't know if you're familiar with Frice's music. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, and there's a great community on Facebook there, um, a, group, a group called In Exile. And, and I've met people from that group at shows and things like that. And um, it's a real cool community there. Another one is the Jimmy Eat World group, um, where there's a lot of cool stuff going on in there where people have, you know, um, made music videos where fans of, you know, where, where people, members of the group have submitted clips in like a line from each song and sent it to the band and the band have seen it. And I just like these communities. And I think the, the, people in the metal scene i think there's probably a perception of people in the metal scene that we're all angry and angsty you know and and it's not it's not the case you know i think everyone that i meet is 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 you know really friendly and welcoming and and because i've become so obsessed by architects over the last few years you know I, I, one of the first things i did was was look for a for a group and I think I've still got a pending invite on one group called Lost Forever. Um, so I'm, I'm guessing it's fairly inactive. I think there's about maybe 500 members um, oh. that not accepted my invite for whatever reason. Um, and from what I can see, there's only a couple of posts a month. So I, was, I just thought, you know, I've never done anything like this. Um, let's try and create something and, you know, build a community. Um, and I think it tied in nicely with around the time that Obviously, the new album was coming out, so there was a lot of hype around the band. I had no idea how much it would grow. So I I think it was at the end of January, I I started the group up 
and I think we've just passed sort of 500 members or something, which I think is, I don't didn't really know what my expectation was, but it, it's probably blown up quicker than I thought it would. Um, and there's some really cool people in there as well. Like almost straight away when the album came out, there's, you probably remember there was people buying multiple copies. Uh, yeah. They had the vinyl or buying the CD, or if they were buying um, a ticket for the, for the small summer shows, um, with a CD and ended up with spare CDs and things like that. And then there's people on the group saying, I've got a free CD if anybody wants it, you know, I'll pay the postage. And I was like, that's why I've done this. I've, I've done this to build this sort of tight knit community of, you know, kind people, you know, doing things for each other and just, you know, sharing their love for the band. That, no, that's amazing. I feel what I get out of it is, yeah, literally what you said, just, um, I've been obsessive architect since, 2014 um, I had the pleasure of seeing them in 2013 at download um, oh it was 2013 then sorry um, and they were on the main stage there was second band on the main stage on the Friday and I only heard one songs before that and they played and didn't think much of them really um, and then a few months later I was coming back from holiday and I had all their albums downloaded on my phone um, hit press uh, press play on Daybreaker and yeah kind of fell in love and was like what the fuck have I done why haven't I listened to this previously uh, yeah and since then I was like I'm obsessed and then yeah. full team is when Lost Forever came out and obviously that was you know staple album for them and kind of blew them up to some extent um, and ever since then I was trying to see them live I was buying tickets and it would fall through like, I wouldn't be able to go and and then it got round to May of 2016 when the World Gods came out and I went to Brighton to see them the day after the album came out they played Concord 2 and we got there about like 30 minutes before doors opened and nobody was there so I was like oh that's great you know get in the queue quickly uh yeah managed to get front row and you know they played their set you know Tom was obviously there at the time and yeah, and then, what, three months later he passed? Yeah. Which is insane. And it was his final uh, UK show oh, wow. that I went to. Um, but I think, you know, having those memories and seeing them multiple times after that, I was at the Brixton show when Dan did the speech about... Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've seen that. I have, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, being there... I think it's the, it's the only band that when you go to their gigs, I feel like everyone's there for the same reason and you can feel like the community spirit. And that's why I love them so much. Um, you know, I've been to been to see them live, my friends and my, my brother, I got my brother into them. And yeah, it's just, as you said, it's, it's literally a community. Like I feel like we all listen to the band for the same reason. And I see them not as a band really, you know, having been lucky enough to meet them, you know, they're the greatest guys. and. Yeah, I feel like they understand, you know, why we listen to them, and it's kind of like mutual in a way. If you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, yeah. There's something, there's something really special about them. I don't think I've ever really been able to pinpoint what it is, apart from um, being very down to earth guys. And obviously now they've got, I think, a tragic story that yeah. I think people actually sort of relate to. I mean, I I discovered them around about the same time as you. And a bit like you, it happens to me with many bands. I'm like, how the fuck have I been sitting on this band? You know, and, and 
yeah, they've been they've got like five albums at that point before, maybe six. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, how have I only just discovered this band? It's insane. Um, and I really liked that album, and and it made me sort of dive back through the sort of back catalogue of what what they were doing. But when All Our Gods came out, and I think that album has a completely different meaning and feeling now um, after Tom passed. But even when it came out, a bit like when I heard paper, that first 10 seconds of Paper Cut, when I've heard the first 10 seconds of that album, I was like, my God, this album is insane. And very quickly, it became just sort of a staple in my playlist, that album. Um, and then when you listen to it sort of retrospectively, knowing what happened to Tom, because of course nobody nobody knew that he was yeah, exactly. built. You know, it was a huge surprise. Um, and it took on particularly a song like Gone With The Wind or Memento Mori. Um, you listen to it in hindsight, you're like, wow, like it hits really hard. And probably hits along with Chester's and in, in very different ways because their deaths were so different. But they're probably the ones that have, you know, hit me the hardest. Um, like I say, in different ways, I think with Chester, you know, everyone, he was very open um, about his depression and you know, his mental health issues and things. So although it came as a, a, a big shock, um, I guess expectancy isn't the word with Chester, but um, you probably knew that it, it could happen one day to him. You know, he had his demons. Um, yeah, yeah, there was history that. behind it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so as uh, shocking as it was, um, you, you could see why it happened. Um, but with something like Tom's, you know, um, I think really amazing as well that that they decided to keep that within the band and, and nobody knew, you know, about about his cancer. Um, so it was a huge shock, a huge shock when he died. But I think again that showed that community spirit at that point of, of, of people rallying around the band, other bands rallying around the band, and they're just I think how they've dealt with it all and have sort of come out on the other side, and now the success they're having as well is just is everything they deserve. Yeah, no, definitely. I I remember, yeah, as I said, it happened in the August and the Brixton show was in the November. And I was looking back on the um, the Holy Ghost documentary the other day, I watched that back, and they were discussing, you know, obviously what happened to Tom and they had a tour, I think the next month would bring me in Australia. And Dan was the first to say, oh, let's go, let's go and do it. So the fact that even, you know, a few weeks after his brother passing, he was like, we've got to do this. We've got to do yeah. that for Tom, for the fans. And, you know, they could have easily toured all our gods and said, you know, guys, that's it. We're moving on doing other things. But they didn't. And I feel like, you know, they did that for the fans and, of course, Tom. And those shows were so special looking back on it. You know, that Brixton show was amazing. Um, and then... Yeah, I remember, I remember the day I woke up and Doomsday came out and just surprised that they released a new song. And yeah. just that, you know, just knowing for a fact that they were continuing on, even if it was just, you know, that one song just to say, you know, we can still do this. Uh, and then they did the Ali Pally show to celebrate, you know, the release of Doomsday, which was such an amazing, amazing show. Um, yeah, and looking back on, you know, the Holy Ghost documentary and it's got the little scenes from Ali Pally and when they played Gone With The Wind and... Oh, that killed me. Absolutely <laughs> killed me. It's, I still find it hard 
to watch. So I can't imagine what it was like to be there. Um, not just what Dan was saying, but when you watch Sam break down, when yeah. you just can't sing the rest of that song, you know. Um, and I kind of feel that that was, yeah, of course it's 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 nothing that's ever going to be forgotten, but it felt like the end of that chapter, you know, that was that was the moment that they could get past it and uh, and move on. Because many bands don't carry on, you know. Um, I think Linkin Park will at some point, but besides the tribute show, you know, they're not yeah. going to carry on without Chester. And like you say, those guys were, I think it was like a few weeks after he died, they were, yeah, off to Australia. Um, yeah, incredible. That was an incredible show, yeah, definitely. Yeah, as you said, that moment when they played Gone with the Wind, Dan's speech was beforehand, um, from what I remember. So he did, this, he did his speech beforehand and then they went into Gone with the Wind. And yeah, it, it was that part when Sam just dropped, you know, dropped the mic and he just couldn't finish the song. It was just, you know, the whole energy of the crowd just sing mm-hmm. with that part. It was, it was heartbreaking. Um, such a special moment. Um, and as you said, yeah, in a way, it ended the chapter. I mean, at the time, Holy Hell wasn't even out then. And it wasn't even, um, they didn't even announce it. No. Uh, but yeah, in a way, yeah, it was one of those one of those moments where they they knew they could continue on, and you're having ten thousand people there celebrating, you know, Tom's life and you know their success through all our gods and everything was was amazing. Um, but yeah, going forward, uh, let's let's talk about you know the new album. Getting number one for a metal band is a bit mad. Um, I know we were all celebrating on the group page when it happened. And yeah. That was that was an amazing moment. So, yeah. And obviously, it's a totally different sound. So how do you feel, you know, about about it, really? Um, I mean, I haven't stopped playing it. Um, I'm, I've always been one of those people that, you know, don't want a band to sit still, you know, and I want them to evolve. And as much as that pleases a lot of people, you get a lot of hate as well. You know, when, when bands sort of drastically change, there's a couple of tracks on the album at first. I was like, oh, I'm not sure. Um, Demigod and um, Little Wonder. And then I've heard, <clears throat> I've heard Sam say since in interviews, so he said he heard Demigod and he had a bit of a panic, like we've gone too far. Yeah. We've gone too far with this. Um, and I was skipping it for a while and same with Little Wonder and now I'm listening to them you know um so that the tracks that didn't resonate with me straight away now are um I, I like what they've done I don't like bands you know as I say I don't like bands just to sit still and you know um repeat what they did previously and it is quite a departure in in many in many senses you know but for every you know, every track that's you know for every demigod there's an impermanence um which i cannot play you know without being you know, i can't play quietly it has to be absolutely boomy um because songs like that are just you know what architects are for me um i, I think they've done a i think they've done a great job with it you know they lost their main songwriter you know um so you know Dan's taken that on and I don't think he'd had much experience beforehand um in terms of songwriting and stuff uh, and I think he's done 
an incredible job of it. I, I think it's great. It'll be my album of the year. It's only April, but I can tell you it'll be my album of the year. <laughs> Definitely will be. I I'm feeling the same. Yeah, I remember I heard it. People might hate me for saying this, but I heard it a month before it came out. Um, and I honestly didn't like it. I didn't like the mix or anything. And um, obviously hearing the singles, they were kind of, it was kind of one of those albums where I was like, oh, I'm just waiting for this, you know, the single, the songs that I know. And yeah, didn't, didn't enjoy it. And then to lead up, you know, to the actual official release, um, they released a few more singles and I was watching, you know, reaction videos of, I think, Meteor and nobody really liked that track. And then, see, yeah, that freaked me out big time. Because um, <laughs> was it Annie Mack who premiered it, I think, on Radio yes, 1? Yes, yes. I never, ever, I'm never free for this sort of thing, but it just so happened that I was. I was like, oh, I can actually, I can tune in live to this. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm not sure about this one. Because at that point, I think we'd heard, was that the third or fourth track? I oh, know, the fourth, maybe. So we'd heard um, Animal, oh, yeah. Black Lungs, and Dead Butterflies. Yeah. Uh, which I'd loved, I'd loved. I was waiting for Dead Butterflies ever since I heard it at the um, Royal Albert Hall show. And then Meteor hit, and I was like, oh, no, I'm not sure. I mean, for someone who who sort of got into this scene via new metal, you know, it, it had a real new metal vibe, I thought. Um, but I didn't like it at first listen. And now it's grown on me. It's one of those ones, you know, the more you listen. Um, and I don't know if that's an illusion, really. Where, where you've just heard it so much that it's just ingrained in you and you like it anymore or whether it actually it's, it's the other way around and it's just that you're giving it a bit more time um and you've grown to love parts of it i always love the last minute when it goes into the sort of gang vocals um yeah, yeah. But other than that i wasn't sure about it and i thought it was kind of lyrically weak meteor it's not one of my favorites on there but it's got its, it's got its place yeah no definitely i thing when it comes to listening to the album from start to finish is when you kind of realize what they were trying to do um you could i feel like when you've got the album shuffle you would skip songs as you said you know previously skipping demigod and stuff like that but um yeah when it first officially came out that first week or so i was listening to it daily from start to finish even multiple times a day um, and that's when you realise, you know, how strong of an album it is. I feel like um, looking back, you know, albums that I haven't liked to start off with um, have then became my favourite albums from a band I like, uh, especially um, A Thousand Sons by Linkin Park. Do you remember when that first? Oh, happened? my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone was like, what's they doing? And now it's probably their best album. People still hate on that album big time. Yeah. Um, but that's got, and I, I get it, but again, that was an album that was, I think, if I remember right, you can buy that on iTunes as one track, because they were really trying to push the you know, idea that this, this is a concept album and it's meant to be listened to cohesively. Um, and I get why people didn't like parts of that album, um, but there's a couple of songs on there that are probably my, my favourite Linkin Park songs, um, Waiting for the End. And the Catalyst are two of my favourite songs. Um, but you're right about for those that wish to exist. I think when you cohesively listen to the album, you know front to back, that's when it works. And one of the first things I picked up on was 
that flight without feathers, which I really like because it gives me huge Frice vibes um, from when they did the Alchemy Index album. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. Um, but Frice really experimented um, with different sounds on, a, on an EP. They, they had four, four themes, the four elements of, you know, they had fire, water, air and earth. And the water album was really sort of melodic and floaty. And, and when I heard Flight Without Feathers, it gave me huge price vibes. But I remember at the very, like at the very start of my first listen of the album thinking, this is smack bang in the middle of the album. That's like purposely put there because it's like the break, like you just had impermanence. You know, yeah. you've gone this huge journey and this is like, let's just take you, you know, this is like our intermission now, you know, before things start to kick off again. Um, and I think that ties into what you're saying about, you know, being a cohesive listening sort of from front to back. You know, it's a, it's a real journey. Um, and again, that last track just like floors me. Um, Dying is absolutely safe. Um, particularly from that moment where, you know, Sam's singing with the piano and then that choir comes in. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just blew my mind. And I suppose it's an easy thing with architects when you hear something that's sort of slat, sad and slow, yeah, you, and you link it back to Tom, but I think it, you know, it very heavily links into what happened with Tom there. Yeah, and I feel like all their album, you know, closes for the last, what, four or five albums have been outstanding, really. Yeah. You know, looking back on A Wasted Him, we had, um, well, we had A Distant Blue, The Distant Blue, Memento Mori, obviously, you know, an eight-minute track. When I saw the track length for that, I was like, Architects doing an eight-minute track, that's a bit of a <laughs> crazy one for them to do. Um, but it seems to fly by in about two minutes, that track, for some reason. Yeah, and then you think awesome. it ends, and then you get the blast beats kicking. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, I remember going back to when I saw them in Brighton. I was walking to the venue, and Dan tweeted that there was sound checking. Sound, they sound checked, at, obviously at the venue before the gig, but they sound checked the whole song, the whole Memento Mori, um, which you know is special to for them because they obviously going going forward they said they would never play that song fully mm. um, because of you know what it means to them but it's cool to know that they actually did play it with Tom uh, which is really cool have you said you've never seen Architects before no no so I've now got two two shows coming up um it was one of those ones that's like I've got to see this band now you know it's the sort of promoted to the bucket list um so yeah, I'm lucky enough now to go to those one of those really small shows in Kingston. Um, fuck knows how I got tickets for that. I've got no idea. Uh, when you saw sort of eighty thousand people sitting on the page, I, I've never booked a ticket um, on a on a website where it shows you how many people are viewing that page. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was like, I've got no chance of getting tickets for this small club. I've been in that club when it was called um, Oceana um, when I used to live in London. It's not big. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to be lucky enough to get tickets for this. Somehow I did, you know. Um, and then, of course, um, I booked the Ali Pali show, which I should mention as well. You kindly offered to pick up my ticket. Yeah. <laughs> you got yeah. hold of a, a pre sale. Um, yes. Because your phone network, I think. Yeah. Um, and so, linking that back to, you know, the sort of the kindness and generosity that you see of people on, on the group. You know, there's these people that you, you haven't met that you know you, you'll suddenly get an offer to say hey man i'll pick you up a ticket you know um just kind gestures so it's one of those 
So one, thank you for that. But two, no worries. That's fine. You know, it's kind of you know backs up why I wanted to build that group, um, build a community of fans. Um, so yeah, I'm. I mean, I've seen countless shows of them online, um, and it's going to be really two different experiences. I think to see them in such a small venue and then see them in in Ali Pali. It's going to be two very different shows. So I'm looking forward to seeing seeing them both. It's going to be insane. Yeah, 100%. I think especially after not having, um, you know, not having gigs for a while, being able to, you know, then possibly being one of the first bands we see after COVID will be amazing. And as you said, yeah, you know, going from a small gig to Ali Pali is going to be the best of both worlds, really. Yeah. Um, and yeah, having seen him at massive venues and small venues, um, you know, it is great to see the different kind of, you know, ways that they can do their live show. Yeah, yeah, just to see that more. I mean, the Kingston one will be so intimate. Um, and you just don't know whether they'll ever do that again. I just remember freaking out big time. I was like, I'm not going to get tickets for this. I'm not going to get tickets for this. But I know I'm going to be gutted if I don't. Um, yeah, I can't believe I did. And you're going to both, aren't you? Yeah, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I remember when it got announced, when the first show got announced, it was, it's literally five days after my younger brother's birthday. And he's seen Architects of Me twice. And he knows how much of a fan I am. And he obviously understands the whole history behind the band. Um, so I text him, even though we're literally in different rooms in the house and we're a bit lazy. Um, and I said, oh, you know, let's do it. And he was like, yeah, definitely. And I only managed to get one ticket for that because as you said, it sold out in like two seconds. It was, it was ridiculous. And then they announced the second show. And I don't know if you remember on, on the, the ticket options, it had like four tickets and four CDs. Yeah. So I was, I had my phone out and I had my laptop on and my friend was on the laptop. Um, and we had the countdown to when it hit the time that the tickets were on sale. And yeah, press refresh and managed to get them. So managed to get four four tickets. So on that Saturday show, I think it's a Saturday show. No, the Friday show, sorry. Um, there'll be four of us going. And then on the Saturday show, I'll be going on my own, which, you know, going back to the Facebook group, it's good knowing now that I won't be traveling to Kingston on my own. You know, gonna, there's going to be loads of us going to that gig and we can all yeah. beforehand. And, you know, share our experiences and talk about the band before, you know, heading in and actually seeing them live, which is amazing. Yeah. yeah, the positives of social media, you know, bringing, you can bring people together, you know, it's not all, it's not all keyboard warriors and trolling, you know, there's some good people out there. And yeah, like you say, I'd have been going to that gig on my own as well. I mean, we, me and my wife know Kingston quite well. So she was originally going to be coming with me. Um, but like you say, you could only get the one ticket, you know, just, hit bang and it was it was sold out um so she's coming down anyway and meeting a friend while i go to the gig so you kind of think oh i'm gonna be on my own but that's fine i've been to gigs on my own before and then you realize actually there's a community of people that you know want to hang out yeah yeah that's definitely good yeah i've been to gigs on my own before and it's it's been great but i feel like you know being able to share that experiences with friends and talk back yeah. and you know discuss that it's been great um, I want to end this on, I remember you saying that there's a song that you've got a special story behind. Do you want to jump into that and talk about that? 
yeah yeah just to tie in really with like yeah the, the themes of your podcast you know sort of music therapy and i think that's exactly what music is it's a therapy for people um you know when i'm angry and pissed off i'll throw on some slipknot you yeah. know people might think that's counter you know counterintuitive yeah i know put something on to chill you out and it's like actually no that helps that helps get out your anger you know that helps you know face whatever's pissed you off um and similar to this it was my, my when, when my son was born i'll save you all the crazy details but he he and my wife nearly died um he came sort of five five weeks early and he fell into the stomach my wife's womb basically split and he fell into the stomach and he was a couple of minutes from dying and so was my wife really um so he was very poorly and he was in intensive care and in his incubator and i don't know if you even know this song but you should check it out um the first song that sort of came to my head just popped in was a song called wires by athlete i don't know if you know that song no no and lead singer wrote it specifically about his kid who was in in intensive care very poorly and nearly died and i was sort of always a bit like you know listening to slipknot when i'm angry um helps me listening to a song about what i'm going through um sort of resonated with me you know and it wasn't a song to like oh, i can't listen to that song i have to avoid that song because it makes me think about you know my son and what's happening to him this was something that actually helped me helped me through it you know now we have is we have the songs from that from that um song the words from that song framed in his room because it's something we you know that we hold close to us now you know and it's yeah. a sad song you know it talks about you know the first night of your life being on your own and you know all the wires coming out of your body and things like this it was all like horrible things um but you know we were lucky that we you know he was fine he got better and um after a few weeks we were able to sort of take him home and and now i've got a crazy two-year-old son who jumps on my head you know and <laughs> you know eats stuff he shouldn't eat you know he's just a normal kid um and i guess some people aren't aren't as lucky as that there's you know some people you know unfortunately lose their children you know um so we we were lucky but yeah i just think that's that was a therapy for me you know to listen to a song as, as sad as it was um to have this song that you know spoke to me and you know helped me get through what was probably the toughest moment of my life um and that's what music can do for you you know whatever whatever music tastes you, you have you know um i i don't understand um pop music you know uh, and what people get out of it i find it soulless and you know manufactured but you know it has a place for somebody you know as as much as the music we listen to has a place for us um and in this case the songs from a, from an indie band that i'm not necessarily into but it was it was just you know that song helped me at that time wow wow yeah it's amazing i've i've you know i've always been told by my mum that when she walks past my room she knows what mood i'm in because of the music i listen to yeah um which as you said yeah you've got you know you've got your anger music for when you're in a shitty mood and um you know recently i've been getting into musicians that you know are so honest with their lyrics and you know i was going 
last few months have been going through you know a crappy time really mainly through because of the pandemic and you know I lost my job last year and a few other things and just you know finding new music to as you said that actually speaks to you and it feels like it's super personal um helps the most and yeah i think that's one of the one of the reasons why um architects you know so loved by so many is because they can really um relate to the songs yeah yeah is which is great yeah and i find that we've gone with the wind and i i think i posted very early on in the group that you know if people say to me oh you know metal is just just a screaming heavy mess you know um i'll i will play them gone with the wind and tell them about tom you know i'll give them the context behind it and <clears throat> for me that's the most emotive song in metalcore um it's incredibly sad but on the surface if you're not into that sort of music it's just you know i, I don't think they can hear anything past the screaming um and heavy guitars um i mean i had a, a cool <laughs> a funny story a friend of mine from uni who was who just did not get the music i listened to you know and to him it was just rah, you know yeah and i remember telling him about i said oh yeah i picked up this, this new jimmy Eat world album called futures which is one of my favorite albums as well and just mentioned it to him in passing and uh the next time I saw him, he said, I know a bit about your Futures album. He said, I went into a record store. He said, I look at the track listing. He says, there was a song called Kill and a song called Pain. He said, so I know what to expect. <laughs> it's wow. like, and I was like, let me play you some Jimmy Eat World. He's like, no, 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 no. It's like, mate, it's the, it is not heavy at all. But just from the track listing, you know, a song called Kill and a song called Pain, he just made made a judgment about about alternative music i guess and jimmy world is probably the most accessible you know you'd probably class it as sort of more emo wouldn't you yeah um, yeah that would be the most accessible thing for him you know if i was going to play him anything from from my music library it'd be it'd be jimmy world um but yeah he just had that view of the scene if you like that we're all angry and angsty it's really that's really interesting to say that i'm thinking I got into a musician called Nothing Nowhere recently, the last few months. He released um, his latest album a week before Architect's latest album. And it's called Trauma Factory, which isn't the nicest, nicest sort of album title, it's really easy. Um, but yeah, that, that album's totally not, you know, scary or heavy or anything. It's, it's mainly, you know, you know, not necessarily a pop album, but it's got so many different elements and genres in it. Um, and yeah, it's basically just an album pretty much discussing that, you know, life does get scary at times and it is okay to, you know, feel anxiety and depression. And that's his whole motive really is to, you know, share that with, with his fans. And um, yeah, it's great. But yeah, as you said, I've been, I've been in the car with my friends and, you know, a heavy song comes on and they're like, yeah, this is a bit much. I'm like, listen to the lyrics. I'm always like, listen to the lyrics, you know. I feel like metal has the most impactful lyrics and the most meaningful. Um, which at times it does get annoying when you know you're trying to listen to the lyrics and the guy's you're screaming at you. I find it hard with some bands essentially when you're yeah. listening to an album and you don't really understand what they're saying, so you've got to pop up the lyrics. But um, listening to a song and liking it, not being able to hear the lyrics, and then actually diving in and listening to the, you know listening to the lyrics and reading the lyrics while listening to the song um, makes it so much better. Yeah, I think reading it. Is important and that's I guess that's kind of 
lost a little bit um, when people buy digital music because I used to love pulling out the CD booklet and or whatever and you know reading through the lyrics and I think sometimes even when you know the lyrics and you sing along when you actually read them on a screen um, I don't know, you dissect it in a different way when you're actually seeing the words yeah um, and yeah you're completely right you know some I mean I, I can listen to all sorts of metal depending on my day but you know I like to be able to hear what they're saying within their scream that it's not just this just you know deep growl from the bottom of their stomach you know um and i think with with if we you know in reference to to architects if you think about sam and how his voice has has really changed you know when you go back and listen to something like ruin or or hollow crown you know you can still hear you know what he's saying but how his voice has, has developed and, and changed and the sort of range of you know of what he's capable of doing now uh he's changed you know so much as a vocalist and you can certainly hear far more of what he's saying now in his screams than than you did previously yeah and he's learned how to get emotion out as well um i feel like it was the abbey rose studios who was discussing about how he was tracking vocals with dan and tom um and you know i think he was saying about memento more when tom was like tracking vocals with him and Tom was trying to steer away to what the actual lyrics meant so he can just focus on you know getting the best possible voice yeah and I can't remember what song it was and if you remember correct me but Dan was saying about I think Dead Butterflies this one of the lyrics is also in um, another song yeah um in Memento Mori um yeah let me live and die in peace yeah and yeah, Sam didn't even clock that until after. I know that was insane. You think, every fan was like, I, I didn't, I didn't pick up on it when I heard it live at Royal Albert Hall, but when I they really, when they released the studio version, I heard it straight away and picked up on it. Yeah. Um, but they do that. That they do reference old lyrics a fair amount actually when you read back when you read back through. There's a couple in um, "Dying Is Absolutely Safe" as well. Um, where there's a line that says, um, it with the doves all flying away, uh, with the ravens here to stay and the doves all flying away, which is just referencing back to dead butterflies. Yeah. I mean, I think it references Distant Blue and yeah, maybe Distant a couple Blue. of others. Yeah. Um, I quite like that. I like when they link back. Yeah. That's definitely smart. But yeah, I feel like, as you said, lyrical content in many metal bands are great. I mean, um, especially in bands like Bury Tomorrow, they're great, especially with the latest album, Cannibal. Um, I don't know if you've heard the new Landmarks album. I saw that you haven't, you, you know, at the time you didn't check them out when we were all talking. Yeah, about I haven't them. checked it out yet. Yeah, their latest album's great, um, you know, especially with the title track. That's all about, you know, anxiety and depression and stuff. Um, yeah, you're going you're gonna to like that track. That's all I'm going to say. It's, that's a really good track. I think you know, now I think people are speaking about mental health and depression more than they, they ever were before. But I think that's one thing that's great about metal music is that you know people aren't afraid to talk about it or sing about it, you know. Um, and the more people raise awareness of those, you know, of mental health issues and get, getting people to speak up rather than, you know, closing up, um, the better really. Yeah. Um, and you know. A lot of music I listen to, you know, is, is themed around that. And I've never really, I've never suffered, you know, with depression or, or, or any sort of mental health issues. 
Um, but it's still, still a therapy for me because we all still have our struggles and our worries in life. You know, whether it's, I don't know, issues at home, not that I have issues at home, but, you know, people do issues at home or financial worries and things like that. I think um, any music that, that sort of tackles sort of mental health and depression and, and those sorts of things, it can, it can be a real help and a real therapy for people. Yeah, and the whole campaign that While She Sleeps are doing currently with their latest song, Nervous. Yeah. It's, you know, trying to push, you know, to actually speak, you speak to it, you know, speak about it with their fans and, um, you know, they're trying to get people on their podcasts to, you know, discuss stuff and like that. And I think they're releasing a, um, like a mini documentary tomorrow. Oh, wow. About the song and, you know, what makes them nervous and it interviews the different band members and stuff like that. And I think it's great, especially when, um, when it comes to metal music, we're so invested in the bands and for them to turn around to us and say, yeah, we're just, you know, we're human beings and we deal with crappy situations as well is, is really great. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining. We've been talking for almost an hour, which is... Oh, wow. I hope it's been very <laughs> interesting. I'll bored you too much. No, no, you've been great. No, thank you so much. Is there anything you would like to end on? No, I don't think so. Probably just a plug, should we plug the group? Should probably plug Architects group, shouldn't we? So if anyone did, anyone was listening and did want to join, it's the Royal, Royal Beggars. But yeah, um, you know, and keep doing what you're doing as well. I think this, you know, this podcast is really cool. Um, and I'll be listening to further episodes. I might not listen back to mine though. Yeah, I hate hearing my own voices. <laughs> awesome, mate. Well, thank you so much. And I'll see you in August. Yeah, we'll do. Look forward to it. All right, mate. Yeah, take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.